0: Welcome back to Bibby as the open.
1: the Kings Insider podcast on csncalifornia.com introducing your host Sacramento Kings Insider James Ham
0: Welcome to the NBC Sports Kings Insider podcast. I am James Ham and joining me today is the newest member of the Sacramento Kings front office, Mr. Scott Perry, Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations. Scott, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing very well, James. Thanks for having me on.
0: So, are are you getting your feet wet in Sacramento? You're getting you're getting grounded and figuring out how to get everywhere, or is it just like a whirlwind for you?
2: Uh, I think it's a combination of the two. You know, I've, I've been out uh, in Sacramento this past week and had the opportunity to to meet with everyone in the basketball uh, operations department uh, one by one, just to you know learn the people there and have them learn. Uh, a little bit about me and, you know, get the, commu- the communication started. And then also uh, in the midst of all that, looking for a new place to live. And uh, so my wife came out with me and we were house hunting all over the greater metro Sacramento area and learned a lot about it and uh, really excited about it. I mean, great area, great community, and learned a lot over the last four days and, and hope to learn a lot more uh, over the days, months, and years to come uh, in, in working with the Kings.
0: Now, I got to ask you, what did you think of the arena and sort of the whole entire experience that is the Golden One Center?
2: Uh, first in class. That's what that's what I was talking It's Unbelievable, it's awesome uh, facility. Uh, you know, kudos to all of those who put the time in, obviously starting with the owner of the VEC, um, I mean, he, he set a standard uh, with that arena, and uh, and I've been to, you know, obviously in, in what I've done in, over the years in the NBA, I've been to all arenas in the league, and um, this Golden One Center is as finest uh there is in the league. Obviously, advancement from a uh, technology standpoint is top of the line and, you know, groundbreaking not only in this country but probably worldwide, so – uh i don't know probably half of it yet i mean i got a, a grand tour of the facility and and was you know left and uh uh you know it was a very awesome undertaking to go go through that facility and i'm sure there's a lot more of it for me to learn but uh just really excited about it it's a great place and great environment to to go to work every day
0: Okay, so Orlando is a, I mean, I think everyone was shocked the way that things happen, but you know it's a business. You've been around this business a long time, but uh, you chose to, to jump on the Sacramento thing so quickly. I mean, I, you didn't sit around and wait at all, and you jumped right in. Two feet. What is it about Sacramento, the, this front office, that you like and you think you can bring to the table with this group?
2: Well, a few things. Um opportunity i see opportunity there i see
0: i see a young team uh,
2: that's uh, heading in the right direction under Vladi's leadership um and i see myself you know working collaboratively with with Vlade and with ken and with luke uh, and with mike Brox and page stockett and the entire front office staff and i think uh, all those guys are committed to doing something special you know um i think Vladdy's vision for what a good basketball team looks like—you um, know—a team that's going to play hard every night, share the basketball, um, check the egos at the front door, and agendas at the front door, and the only agenda should be about the team and about winning. And I, I think—and then as and important too, the Sacramento community. Look, you know, I've I've been coming to Sacramento for for years uh, in the visitors' locker room. Many of those years when I was with the Detroit Pistons. And one thing that always stood out to me was the passion of the community uh, that they had for the Kings uh, basketball organization. And so uh, I see opportunity here. Granted that they have, you know, not won like they wanted to win over the the past decade or so, but uh, uh, as you know, in sports, you know, things can be turned around and things can be changed. And I just think uh, uh, at this point in time, the, the, the ingredients are there to, to make a difference I, I saw myself being able to contribute uh, in a big way uh, to that and, and making out a reality that this uh, franchise becomes uh, a winner once again
0: okay so you did spend a lot of time in detroit i mean it's all over your resume uh, multiple times in detroit is joe dumars are you a joe dumars disciple is that who you sort of got your start yeah. with and who you, you really like, uh, I don't know if it's sort of your ideal ideology comes from is sort of the Joe Dumars tree.
2: Well, you know, obviously, you know, I started in the NBA with Joe Dumars and, and owed him an awful lot of gratitude, uh, learned a great deal from him. Uh, and, and, and I was a big part of, of, of assisting him too. And, and, putting that thing together in Detroit, we take great pride in that. Uh, the beauty of it all is that uh, the bond and the closeness is still there, not only with Joe, but all the players that played there. Uh, they're in that great round of, you know, six straight final fours, if you will, and two finals and one championship. You know, there's, there's such a bond there because we were good for a long time. But like I mentioned earlier, Um, you know, one of the big things that I learned, again, check the agendas, check the egos at the door. It's about the team. It's about winning. That's the only agenda that's allowed. Uh, That's the the focus that uh, I've, you know, carried each and every day that I've been in the league and uh, will continue to carry that. Um, But uh, yeah, he, he, he obviously had a great impact on, on me and, but I'm the kind of guy too, though that uh, you know I coached a long time prior to coming to the NBA. I coached uh, for 13 years in college, and um, and I, I meet I know a lot of people in the business, and a lot of people have been helpful, and and uh, you know I've observed or uh, exchanged ideas with the uh, various people, not only in basketball but in football as well too, just to you know learn about uh, you know building teams and and uh, what winning. Uh, structures and corporations look like, and so um, that's uh, that's my training that I bring here, and that's my focus that I bring here to the Kings, and hopefully, uh, um, that, again, it, it can be helpful in, in putting this organization uh, in the right direction.
0: Now I got to ask you that Detroit Pistons team that you guys assembled, which is incredible, and, and I won't even ask whose fault Darko was. I'll just ask who was. It? How did you guys build a team? With no true superstar, and and have such wild success for such a long period of time, because you're one of the few teams I think in the history in modern basketball history, from the Jordan and I mean from the uh, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird era forward, every team basically has had a Hall of Fame player on their team, and it's possible that the Pistons will not have a Hall of Famer from that from that era. How did how did you build a team that was? all about, you know, personality and and working together and no one's bigger than everything?
2: Well, I, I think, again, you talk about the, um, the philosophy or the thought process that went into it, and, I, and it still stands out to me to this day. I, I remember having a conversation with Joe and uh Don Hammond, who was there at the time, uh, who now is the general manager of the Milwaukee Bucks, and has done an outstanding job there. Uh, and Joe saying, Hey guys, Kobe and Sack aren't walking through the door anytime soon. <laughs> we gotta out, you know, we we gotta figure out how we can get ten deep, ten quality players, and see if that ten is gonna be good enough to go beat two eventually. And so that was, you know, so we, we, you know, started doing that within the Eastern conference, you know, and the central division first, you know, how we stacked up from a depth perspective. And as we kept growing the team and adding pieces, we, you know, we really thought we, you know, favorite, you know, we were adding things very favorably, you know, assets to the team very favorably. And then, you know, broaden that to the Eastern conference. And then obviously would the, the league at large and that was the philosophy. And, I think when people look back at the roster, uh, you know, all those guys, you know, we had a lot of toughness. We had a lot of edge. We had guys who were willing to uh, sacrifice uh, their own egos and personal gains for the team. And a number of those guys had bounced around the league. I mean, mean, Chauncey Billups was a prime example. We were Chauncey Billups sixteen. Now I'm, I'm going to make a, a I'm going to, I'm going to make a little, you know, now, but again, he was the number three pick in the draft. So he was a very good player coming out of high school. Chance, he was a young man that I recruited as a college coach. So I knew a lot about him and he was a very good player in college. He carried a color you know, he put a Colorado uh, team, university of Colorado team on the map when he was in, in college. And that led to him being the number three pick in the draft. And so many times it's about fit and culture. And that's what we were able to develop in Detroit, a culture that was conducive to winning. Uh, and people talk about that all the time, cultures, but, uh, but you got to live it. It's got to be something you, you do every day, and that means you know, everybody's got to be pulling in the same direction. No, no matter what your role is with the team, whether you're the star player or uh, the person, the maintenance person in the practice facility, everybody's important and uh everybody's got to be treated that way everybody's got to feel special about what they do and what they bring to the organization and be respected for that and that's what we did in detroit and so it became an environment where those guys were uh felt good about coming to work every day they knew they had great support uh in and around the organization they were allowed to be themselves and then they, they, it was an environment that, that, that you know fostered some great development and guys you know able to really reach their potential. And I was you know I, I think when you when we look at it, I know you mentioned in the very beginning that there may not be a Hall of Fame player in the group, but when you look at a guy like Chauncey Billups, who uh, when you look at him being a Finals MVP and champion and five time All Star and, and great leader of that team, and again the team the leader of a team that went to six straight uh, Eastern Conference Finals. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's going to be in some discussions. Ben Wallace, four-time defensive player of the year. You know, we were his third team. You know, we got Ben Wallace in the sign and trade uh, when Grant Hill had decided to leave us, and that was my first year coming in the door along with Joe. And, you know, who really knew that Ben would take off to the level that he did? Uh, He had had a nice year in Orlando as a reserve center that year. He comes to Detroit, able to start, play a lot of minutes, and really was a key catalyst for that. Uh, the culture, I mean, Van was reflective of the Detroit community, and um, you know, tough, hardworking, and, and, and everybody that came in after that, uh, kind of fell into that mold, You know, follow that lead, and and the community really embraced uh, that group and. You know, when that happens there's a lot there's there's a lot of power when uh, people are moving in the same direction together and we got to, you know, experience that. So I take great pride in that. That we, you know, probably gonna be uh unless somebody else comes along here in the near future recognizes the team that won a, a world championship again without that quote unquote transcendent superstar. Mm-hmm. And uh that's something that we take we, we took great pride in and uh And, uh, you know, something that uh, probably is going to be hard to duplicate.
0: Okay, so you've got Vlade, who also, at that same exact time, had a team that had the same sort of team personality, this incredible uh, culture behind the scenes where, you know, Peja and and Doug and and Mike Bibby and uh, Chris Weber, Bobby Jackson, John Barry. I mean, you just keep going on and on. Scott Pollard. Mm -hmm. It was such, such a family atmosphere how do you guys uh, get together and figure this one out and create that culture again try to build that culture because right now you have such a young team and you got a bunch more picks coming and the possibility for another player coming from overseas that's young that's never been in the league i mean you could have upwards of 9 players that are 23 and under and that are in their first second or third year in the league how do you how do you mold that group and pepper in the veterans to bring this thing along and sort of build that culture.
2: Well, again, I, 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 you mentioned. I think this team is in position to move forward. Um, you know, a big part of that is going to be the, the development of each and every one of the players that's in the on the roster. You know, summertime is a time I believe that you know a lot of players make their biggest strides uh, mm-hmm. individually. You know, on their on their skill level. So that's going to be important for for a young group. And then in season, you know, confident that, uh, um, you know, that we got a staff that will, you know, continue to work hard and, and develop the, the players uh, on the court and put them in position, best positions to succeed. And, and as you mentioned, um, you know, it's important to, you know, continue to add some high character, solid veteran players that, uh can play and, and set a good example for players both on and off the court, because I I, I think one of the things that um, I've noticed in my 17 years in the NBA is just how much young players learn from good veterans on their team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whether well they have to compete, first of all, they learn how to compete because the veteran, due to his experience and talent level, a lot of times <clears throat> is going to be <clears throat> much further ahead and. It forces the young guy to, to, to focus and become more consistent when he's trying to compete and get minutes from this veteran player. <clears throat> and um, and then when he's, you know, watching this veteran player in, in games and close out games or how he prepares for practice and, you know, how he responds to coaching and all those things, um, I think it's going to be critical, you know, for a young group uh, to in moving forward is, is just, you know, having that uh, – in our locker room too that 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 veteran talent lead slash leadership uh is gonna be important to bring in those like you mentioned those twenty three year old uh ball players or less along.
0: All right. You've had time to look at this draft. I don't want to keep you all day. You're a busy man, you gotta pack, you gotta move out here. Um but you've looked at this draft and two things. Number one, what stands out to you uh because you guys have two you have the eight and the ten pick. Uh and with Orlando, while you were there, I'm sure you were scouting your top, what, four, five, six. Uh, what stands out there? And then I guess the second question is, you, you talked about Ben Wallace. Uh, in Detroit, you guys brought in Jason Maxil. Uh In Orlando, you brought in Kylo Quinn. The Kings could really use that style of, you know, just gritty, hard-nosed, uh, tough... The you know, that guy you drop in and it doesn't matter if he's playing 10 minutes or he's playing 18 minutes or he's playing 25 minutes, everyone on the court feels that presence. How do you find that guy, uh, even if that's, you know, with that early second round pick or or somewhere else in this draft? Well,
2: you know, first of all, I was just in, in talking about the draft in general, you know, when you're coming in kind of a little later in the game, like I'm coming for this draft, but mm-hmm. even though I've been I'm very much aware of of the group, you know, that's the, the draftable group, if you will. Um, you know, the the, the scouting department here and Gladian Group and the group have, you know, they've they've been well on the way and working towards and preparing for this draft, and and they know um, they know the personalities on the team, you know, a little bit better than I do at the current time. You know, I know this group from from afar, but mm-hmm. I can say is that when you you potentially have two top ten picks. Um, you're in a position to improve the basketball team. And, you know, I I think you got to be ready to explore any option that's going to make the team better. You know, whether that's drafting those guys or moving one of the picks or whatever the case may be, you know, you're in a position to make your team better when you have two top ten picks, and I think that's what we intend to do. I think uh, from a talent perspective, you know, the the jury ultimately will be out um, in terms of how good this class will be Um, there, but there's some exciting, you know, young players in in the draft. And, and as with most drafts, there are going to be some guys that um, turn out to be better than many people thought. So we, I think the key for us is just that we not only know their talent, but we know the person, I think that's as important as anything. Is, you know, you know the person very well, or, or that, that's playing this game. Because at the end of the day, that's going to dictate nine out of ten times just how good and how far the guy, the player, goes in the NBA.
0: Of course, and, and can you find can you find a Kyle Quinn or a, a Ben Wallace or a Jason Maxill in this draft? I think you can, right? That you have your you have some sort of eye for that, right? Well, <laughs> I, 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 the best way I can do that, I, if, if I
2: could, if I could turn back the hands of time and and get a new birth certificate for Ben Wallace, and I, I think I could talk him into coming here to play for the Kings, you know, about ten ten years ago. <laughs> but <clears throat> but um, but those guys, you know, obviously. That, that type of player is is I, I think if you look at any team that uh, uh, competes for a championship you know you're talking about what we really started this uh interview talking about you know guys who are selfless who are tough who are about the team who have, bring some edge to the locker room um those guys are are, are invaluable uh, when you talk about uh you know, putting together a winning basketball team, you, you you need a couple of those guys. So, hopefully, um, we'll be able to um, find one or two of those guys during uh, during my time here, and, and, and they'll be successful in uh, helping all of us reach our goal.
0: All right. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I can't wait to uh, to meet you once you actually get your feet on the ground here in Sacramento and. I'm sure we'll have you on the podcast again. Thanks so much for dropping by. Uh,
2: thank you so much, James. I look forward to meeting you and uh, appreciate the time. And go King.
0: Welcome back to the NBC Sports California Kings Insider Podcast brought to you by Max Muscle. I am James Ham. Joining me on the talkback portion of this podcast, Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. A.B., what's going on? Hey, you're doing those reads real good now. Uh, yeah, it takes a few takes. A little bit. It's a mouthful there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, NBC Sports, uh, California, NBC Sports Bay Area. Um, uh, yeah, we we fully made the change, and you know, I, I now have to live with the live read. So it, it is what it is, Aaron. <laughs> so no, yeah,
1: it, it's uh, it's it's those days um, before the lottery. I, I, I think folks are getting a little fired up for that
0: yeah yeah we got the nba draft lottery coming up uh what is it may 16th um i think we've already gone through ad nauseum the uh uh sort of what could happen here with the sacramento kings if they move up from eight into the top three uh then philadelphia can swap picks with them if they're above them um if the 10th pick moves up in the top three they lose it to the pelicans uh if somehow three teams from 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 slide ahead of the Kings. They lose their pick to Chicago, but that the probability of that is like nil. Um, so we've got that covered. But then there's a whole lot more news. Like The Kings were very active at the end of last week after we did the the early week podcast, uh, and they brought in some new hires, some fresh blood into the front office. Aaron, let's start with Luke Bourne because Luke Bourne is the guy that, that was hired first. Uh, he's the new analytics guy for the Sacramento Kings. Um, you know, Roland Beach out the door. We don't really know exactly what happened there, but it seems like his contract was up. The Kings were looking to just go in a different direction. Uh maybe he was looking to go in a different direction. There is no, you know, clear it's just a mutual parting of ways it appears. Um but, you know, what are your thoughts on changing changing gears here from uh Roland Beach to Luke Born?
1: You know, now that we're we're getting into things like Artificial intelligence over here at hoop ball. Um, it, it's a wild world. I, I fancy myself. Okay. At math, I work with numbers every day. Um, the, the, the direction that this stuff is heading is, and it's not just basketball, it's, it's every industry really, uh, artificial intelligence models, you know, Skynet's going to take over the world any day now, of course, but, um, the artificial intelligence and just the, the new direction of analytics is Almost exponentially expanding, it feels like. And so, to hang a left or a right, to change a direction, especially in a field like this where it's very typical for um, you know anybody that's doing this stuff to to make quick changes because it's all about research, study, and if you find out that what, what the direction that you're heading is wrong, everybody in you know uh, Silicon Valley to these types of circles, they are quick movers. And so I think if, you know, what Luke Bourne has to offer is, is perhaps better than what Roland Beach is doing, or even just different than what he's doing, I think it's fine. I don't see a big problem with it. Um, I'm kind of intrigued to see what Luke brings to the table, um, reading through some of his work and even passing it along to some of the guys at hoop ball. It's been, um, intriguing to say the least. So, uh, I think that's a, I think it's I don't, a lot of people try to read between the lines with that thing. And I don't think that there's anything there with that. So I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. And then, um, you know, of course, the Scott Perry thing was interesting as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really for me, when it, I I spoke to Luke Bourne, and he's a Canadian. Uh, He actually seemed like a really nice guy. He's young, um, early 30s. I think he's 31. Um, And and what's different about him, I don't think we should say like this is, you know, Roland Beach did anything wrong or his analytics are wrong. It's just the Kings are going and they're looking for something different. And again, Roland is a numbers driven guy. He's 82games.com, it was his website for years. He he went it went into the Dallas Mavericks for an office and and worked for them for a long time. Um uh, but at the end of the day what what the Kings are looking to do here is to to, to do something completely different. And they're they're taking a guy who who basically makes models off of a sports VU. And, you know, he takes all of the the video data possible, and he he's able to, uh, by, you know, showing every move that, say, James Harden does uh, from the left elbow, you can start tracking his exact movement because players basically do the same movement, repetitive movements again and again and again. And so the thought is by tra- tracking your own players, your your opponents, uh, you're able to come up with some ideas on strategy on how to defend or or how to do something better, how to come off a, a cut cleaner. Um, and, and so basically, you're able to take these models and then make videos for your for your coaching staff and say, "Look, this is what we're talking about. Like, here's here's a rough model of the the sketch. Here's where." You know, these little blurred lines is where this guy goes every single time. So we can track that and see that he's within, you know, two feet every single time he's making an arc at the top of the key. And it's like, okay, so let me sh- now show you. I'll put the player back in the video, and now you can see him moving. See, that's what we're talking about. And so I think it's it's an interesting approach. Kings are going to let him build this massive database Uh, that coaches and front office and players can can go and watch film of something specific Uh, but Aaron the thing that really that I thought was impressive is that Luke Bourne said look I think one of the issues that analytics has is that you you have a coaches meeting or a front office meeting with all these people in a room and they say okay what do you got for us and a guy like Roland or, or or Dean Oliver they walk in and say okay well the analytics say this if you know basically the old the original Batman it, it, well the first Batman with Michael Keaton if you mix the deodorant with the shampoo you're you you die if you you know you know what I'm saying they're giving like specific formulas of this works this doesn't um these two players work together on and off court uh, all the statistics right? And Luke Bourne is going to do that. But on top of that, he's going to walk in the room and say, what is it that you need from me? What is it that I can can get for you that I can get from you from, from the film and from all of the analytics to help you do your job better? Do you need to know who the best pick and roll coverage is in the league, how they do their pick and roll coverage, and how can you emulate that pick and roll coverage? And... OK, let me let me get you all of the data and then let me put it in a package that's consumable. And I think that's interesting. And I I, I don't know that it will work, but I know the kings are going to invest heavily. It's not just Luke Bourne. Uh, five or six uh, staff members he'll be able to hire to really forward this thing. So I'm intrigued by it. That, that's the most excellent Michael Keaton Batman reference. <laughs> I was going
1: to see how you pulled that together. It, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know what and, I mean, and, though?
0: It's like you can't mix the blush with the lipstick or you're dead, you know?
1: Well, you know, and and also just funny listening to this stuff because the the analytics guys always want to build the biggest database. And um, one thing about Mark Cuban, which is just kind of a random uh, circumstance that uh, Roland used to work over there is Mark Cuban was uh, I forget the exact quote. But he said something like, you know, every team has analytics now, you know, when they had it 15, 20 years ago or however long ago they were able to do these very simple things that were very effective. And now the entire league has accessed all of those same simple, almost, I wouldn't want to call them surface level things, but they're kind of surface level things. And the way that this is all going now is analytics is starting to kind of dive down deep into these various tributaries based on the larger swath of knowledge. And in order to be able to do that, you really have to, do a lot of study and you might travel one direction and it might take you six months and then get out of that and then get into something else. And I just think that the way that that field is expanding is now you've got more specialists, more niche players. You're going to see people taking on more complex projects. That's why the size of the database is so important and the ability to manipulate the data and present the data um, as technology improves. So as you're saying with videos is introducing this in a more cohesive manner to people that are not numbers guys that are not data analytics guys, i.e. coaches, front office people, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a, it's a more specialized field now. And I do think there's going to be a, you, you got all these analytics guys out there. You know, somebody might push ahead for a couple years be onto something and then somebody might take their work and push it forward even further but they're on a completely different track and it'll be interesting to see how nba teams kind of swap intel cuz cuz your guy, your analytics guy might not be the best anymore because somebody else has taken their work and actually built off of it and just by the virtue of having more time they're able to take things in a different direction that's actually more valuable for teams so the information race you know ai is is something that is going to really shake up a lot. Like just even like my rudimentary brain, listening to the AI talk that we have internally, is um, it, it, it's phenomenal. M- machine learning and, and pointing you towards solutions that you would have not, never kind of otherwise known if you had not had a machine taking large swaths of data, compiling it and then pushing it into a direction of research that you'd have never gotten by hand. So I think that's probably the direction that he's he's gonna be heading in. Most analytics guys are really looking heavy at AI right now. And that just makes it really intriguing for a game where you bounce a, a leather ball and throw it through a ring.
0: Yeah. Uh okay so I'm gonna read one of the quotes from him. Uh and this kind of sums up what I was saying. Uh it's not about it's not about me coming in and saying, here's how to think about the game and here's the magic numbers. It's really about me going to them and saying how do you think about the game? What is it that you care about? Is there questions you want answered? And can I help you with that? And I think that that's a really interesting approach because uh, you have, again, stat heads that are coming into NBA front offices who are, are a lot of them uh, are enamored with what's happening. And, you know, they're t- kind of taken back with they're in an NBA front office. And and then they're creating these models and stuff like they have in the past that, that has made them successful, but then how do you take it to the next level? And I the interesting thing is he met, uh, Kurt Goldsberry, uh, who is with, uh, Kurt Goldsberry, who's with the San Antonio Spurs. And, but he met him like back in 2012 on the campus of Harvard. And he came to, to Luke Bourne and said, look, I have all this basketball understanding and, you know, this analytics side, but then I have all this data and, I don't know how to, I don't have the technical skills to take that data and create something different with it. <laughs> do you have the capability to do it? And he said, yes, I have the capabilities to do it, but I don't have the basketball background. So they were able to marry this, you know, sort of the basketball mind and the analytics mind. And then the other thing is, you know, he worked for AS Roma the last couple of years, you know, major, major premier soccer, uh, in Italy. And, He's he's been doing like defensive metrics for them, like spacing and, and all of these things. And, so and that's valuable, by the way. Oh like heck yeah. To,
1: to take your models and then apply them to different sports. It tests the models and it it helps remove the biases from the equation. It's really weird how this is kind of intersecting with conversations we've had over the last two months over here, but like just being able to kind of take a blindfold, put it on and look at the numbers and the numbers itself. I know this is gonna make eye test people cringe. And I'm neither, I don't, I'm not in either group. I'm not eye test or numbers. I think you kind of converge it all. And, and I think that's the, the safe, sane position. Um, but it is to be able to do this with other sports. I think it's it stretches these models in, in terms of how you understand them. And the fact that he's thinking in terms of integrating with specialists at every uh, juncture is, is a big deal. We have guys that are heavy on the database side. We have guys that are heavy on the math uh, theory side and and they gotta marry you you gotta have the technical ability to manipulate the data you have to understand the data from the eye test side and then you've got to have the mathematical side to really be able to push these models as far as they can go
0: yeah i I think it's interesting stuff and you know eventually you're gonna see uh a lot more injury predicting software and stuff like that Uh, luke is very honest and said look i don't think it's there yet everyone is chasing this mythical beast And we can start to have some predictors, um, but, you know, everyone is different. A lot of these injuries are freak injuries. Um, A lot of them are just genetics. You know, there's all kinds of things that go into this. So anyway, um, I I think he's an intriguing hire. And he's written, uh, I think it's six papers over the last, he's co-authored six papers over the last four years at the Sloan Analytics Conference at MIT. Um, He's well-known. He is very, very well-known. I was even, like, when I was doing research on him, I, I found his Twitter feed, and people were tweeting at him, hey, can someone hire Luke Bourne so he can stop coming to the Sloan Conference and winning everything every year? Um, you know, so it, it it's just an intriguing hire. Uh, you'll have to see how it works and how it, in functionality, how it works. Uh, but so far, you know, I, I think the Kings are trying something new, and I don't think it's something new for the whole league but it's something new for them, and uh, I think it has, you know, pretty solid chance of, of creating more information for them to mull through, just more information, and, and that's big. Uh, okay, so let's skip to Scott Perry. That is, he is the big hire. Uh, not that Luke Bourne isn't a substantial hire, but Scott Perry is a uh, a seasoned, seasoned NBA. Uh, executive. They bring him in to work alongside Vlade Divac, uh, Ken Catinella, Mike Bratz, Peja Stojakovic. Everything I know is that no one is going anywhere, uh, that the team is staying together, and that everyone is answering to Vlade. Um, but they landed themselves a guy who is very, very highly respected around the NBA. Uh, he's been in the league since I think right around 1999-2000. Uh, when he started helping scout for the uh the Detroit Pistons um I'm going to blame Darko Milicic 100% on him actually I'm not going to do that, that but <laughs> <laughs> <Come> on now <laughs> yeah he, he's there I, I mean he's a Joe Dumars' guy he uh you know he spent the last what five years with Rob Hennigan in uh Orlando and I I think this is an interesting addition because it's what everybody's been clamoring for. Can you go get somebody who is a full-fledged front office guy? And it's funny because Ken Catania has been that guy in past jobs, and maybe not all-encompassing because he was uh, again uh, an assistant GM, but also Mike Bratz has been a guy who's been in NBA front offices for like twenty-eight years, and but this is the guy that that they really think is going to help them sort of sure up everything. And I, I don't know, Aaron. I'm okay with additions. This is something that we've talked about in the past. Vlade needed more help, and that's understandable. And now they've they've gone out and they've added another piece to the front office that I think makes a ton of sense.
1: Yeah, I, I wonder how much the success of Vlade's draft has had to to do with the way that this is all has all panned out. There was. You know, a lot of talk just floated around, whether it's inside of Sacramento or outside of Sacramento, that Vlade, you know, might have been a little bit at risk. Um, and the the fact that you see these these draft picks all panning out, I can't think of anybody that's even a close second in that draft as far as how it all went down. And so, you know, pulling the trigger, you know, in, in part of a decision-making process uh, to trade DeMarcus Cousins... And seeing the team, you know, have the cloud lift out from over the top of it and everything that's transpired since then, I, I feel like that has, has put Vlade in a nice spot to continue forward. And the addition of Scott Perry almost locks that in, in my opinion, because it adds, well, there won't have any shortage of, of experienced voices now in, in the front office. Um, the, the fact that Orlando chose to let him go was a little bit surprising. And I think the Kings move quickly to scoop up somebody that not just passes the sniff test, but exceeds it. And so, um, you know, while you can look at some of the stuff that Orlando has done with a very, very skeptical eye, Rob Hennigan in particular, you know, Scott Perry is, um, you know, those weren't his decisions per se. And so I think that, you know, the Kings now sit on a respectable front office. They, they sit on, a nice young cache of players. And now they just have to kind of tie it all together in this draft. It'd be interesting to see how these voices all work together in, in concert because they got choices and um, they've got a lot of different directions. They can, they can take this thing. Do they keep going young, you know, with, with a large group of players, you know, how do they handle Bogdan um, Bogdan
0: Bogdanovich?
1: If I could talk today. Um, <laughs> how, how do you, how do they go forward with this? You do now have a lot of voices in the room. I think Ken will probably take a little bit of a back seat, though. A lot of people in the organization felt like Ken was going to be, you know, a potential next guy if Flade was headed out for whatever reason. So you got three good voices there. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of wondering what they're going to do with this draft.
0: Yeah. I'm wondering too, because this draft is getting more and more interesting as we get closer to it. And, you know, we don't know anything again until May 16th as far as where they'll draft. Um, and if you just presume that they will be eight and 10, I think that's pretty safe because the odds are really high that they'll either be at eight or nine, uh, or 10. Um, uh, well, the, the 10th pick will chances are stay at 10. The eighth pick, usually it either goes eight or you slide back one and go to 10 and I mean go to nine and that's, it's going to be difficult to, to really move up in this draft Unless you get super aggressive. And that's where I'm intrigued. Can the Kings make some super aggressive moves here to move up, uh, to, to add a young piece that makes more sense, uh, that may speed up the process a little bit? How do you treat these these two picks?
1: And I, I was I was I'm stepping all over you there, but it's all that's because right. I'm so excited about what I was listening to. Uh, Mike Schmitz on, on the pod was great. Um you know, just oh yeah, yeah, Mike uh, Schmitz last last week and it, it, it just getting i I respect his opinion so much, and um I came away from that pod, thinking the kings have a lot of options here, I feel like they don't have to take a bad deal to move up, um I think they should move up if they can, but they don't have to give away the house, and um that might mean that at the end of the day they're not moving up, you know the it, it, when you get to those top picks. GMs feel pretty protective about them. They don't want to be the guy that passed up on the guy. And so if the Kings look at eight and 10 or whatever it ends up being, and they think that they can get, say, De'Aaron Fox, uh, I don't know how likely that is. Um, but Jonathan Isaac, Frank Tillakina, you know, even listening to you guys talk about Dennis Smith, I'm probably not sold there, but there's... um. You know, there's arguments to be made. I think that you can fill that point guard position pr- I, with the eight and ten. I think you come away with one of these point guards. It would be shocking if you didn't.
0: Yeah, I think so too. But the the question is uh, specifically with with uh, with Tilakina. How far away is he? And then with Dennis Smith, it really comes down to: is he a guy? Is this a right locker room for him? It's a young locker room. Is he a guy that will accept sort of the the opportunity and run with it or is he a guy who is, is isn't gonna do the work um, who's gonna be a lot about himself uh, who's gonna focus everything on getting his numbers as opposed to helping his friends uh, and, and I think we're seeing a lot of that right now right like the Patrick Beverly comments to me in the playoffs, uh, after the after they bounced OKC, and having, you know, Russell Westbrook talking trash to him, saying, "Yeah, you know, I just went for forty points," and he said, "Yeah, but you took thirty four shots to get there." <laughs> and I thought to myself, "You know what, man? That's a really, really smart response by Patrick Beverly." First of all, they don't make him much
1: better than Patrick Beverly, so yeah, um, he's been a hoop ball favorite for years. Um, the Here's the thing with Dennis Smith, he's small, he's a shrimp.
0: <laughs> he's, he's not that small though, and he plays big. Although uh, I, you're right, I, he is he is he isn't big, I, and his wingspan I, I'm, is I'm six foot three a little well. bit. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, that's all. But, but you know what? We're, we're, you got to look long term here. You know, and I, you know, as much as I think Garrett Temple should start and you know th- think highly of him, I don't think that projecting in the future, you're projecting beyond two to three years. So you're really looking at somebody like. You know, any of these guys and trying to figure out how do they mesh with guys like Buddy Heald um, and on down the line. And so, if Buddy's not going to be an above average defender, I think you really have to look at point guard and say, if we're not getting an elite skill out of this guy offensively, um, you know, can we then trend more towards defense, passing, and toughness and, you know, all of, you know, start checking the other boxes because eventually Buddy Heald's got to step into. You know, a number a starting shooting guard, you know, role. Yeah, he, that, I think that's what everybody in the organization's hope is. So that's um, you know, why Tillakina to me is intriguing. Um, you know, De'Aaron Fox, I think he doesn't fit that profile, but he might be good enough to where it doesn't matter. And so obviously above, you know, that you know Ball and Folds, I think are you know the guys that you want to trade up and try and get. Yeah, you know, we'll see how that goes, but. Those are the two targets that I really like, you know, at the point guard position, but it could be the case that Dennis Smith is the guy on the board at that point in time. And. At least there, at least he's got a chance. At least he's got a chance. that's, you're not looking to, you don't have to hit a home run if you're the Kings. Like, and, and one thing I I always caution with, with, um, you know, lottery point guards is you have to know when to get away from those guys. If you were an Emmanuel Moutier guy, you know, over the last two and a half, three years, that's painful. That's really held the nuggets back is they've got to see that bet out. Alfred Payton in Orlando, he picked up the pace over the last two months, but that's a, one of the reasons that Rob Hennigan got let go. It's b one of the reasons that Scott Scales left is because the organization was so tied to this guy. You know, they'd put so much of a bet on him from a general manager standpoint. You, 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 you take your organization and you say, okay, here's three years on, you know, Dennis Smith, who's going to you know, either make it or break it, and there's probably a better chance that he breaks it than he makes it. But if you're drafting and you're the Kings, yeah, of course, this is great. You can pick him up, see if it works out. Just you got to get off that bad bet within like a year and a half if, it, if it's not working out.
0: Yeah, and I think the one thing, like people were so enamored with Wade Baldwin last year, and the Kings, they didn't see him as a starting NBA point guard, and that's why they didn't draft him with the 13th pick. They saw... More promise as a positional player in Popiannis. You know, you can argue that that's just crazy talk, but fact is, they think that seven-two is a size is it, it, something you can't teach. And no matter what, I'm still going to be able to put that guy out there uh, down the road and have him be, you know, this this gigantic person who at least is is someone that can stand in the way and set picks and and block some shots and at least you know play goalie. Uh, where they saw Wade Baldwin as someone they weren't willing to hand their team over to, and I think that's fine. I, I, you know, in the long run, you know, you're always trying to gauge, you know, can I get a starting this? Can I get a starting that? Or should I really go for a guy that I, I think I know exactly who he's going to be, and it might not be great, but it might be something that we need and we need long term. And so, I, you know, it's like the best player available versus positioning. I think that it's always going to be a debate and I think it should be a debate. Um, you know, like again, the Lakers if somehow they land number 3 and and the top two point guards are gone and you're looking at the the next guy is Josh Jackson and you already have Brandon Ingram. Now, do you go back to back small forwards and risk like, you know, putting to, you know, pitting these guys against each other or having Brandon Ingram look really bad against a more seasoned player in Josh Jackson, even though he's 19 years old, they're just a different style. So, I mean, you have to choose what's right for your team at the right moment, and I think it's a difficult, it's always going to be difficult to choose, you know, between who's the most talented player and who's the best fit, but, you know, I I don't know. I mean, the, the Kings have a lot of work to do here, and... I want them to build with high character guys that make sense. Uh, maybe Dennis Smith wins him over, and he is a high character guy. He's just been misrepresented, uh, but there's also other red flags like the fact that he's six three with a, I mean six foot with a six foot three wingspan. That's not good. The fact that he tore his ACL and missed his his entire senior year in high school. That's not good. Um, these are things that like already stick out that you know he has a little bit of like Eric Bledsoe game in him with Eric Bledsoe knee issue. And so, again, oh,
1: I, I. And the Kings could also move up to like five, you know, or six. That's the thing with this draft is we're not going to yeah. know anything until A, the, the ping pong uh, balls are, are put up. But, you know, they got multiple ways they can handle this. I, I think they're going to get a point guard. Um, yeah. The question is, is just can they get Lonzo Ball? <laughs> well, that, that,
0: moving up to number five is huge. I mean, I think that that's Boston going to do. That's the other thing. There's a lot of questions in the top three. Yeah. We have to see though. We have to see what the top three is. That's first and foremost, Right, right, right. you know, we need to see if Boston is in the top three. We need to see if they're number one, they're number two, they're number three. I mean, they're number three. I mean, Josh Jackson on that team with, you know, Jay Crowder, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, both of them playing together. And then, you know, I don't know what you do with uh, last year's first round pick, but, um, you know you're you're putting yourself that he's one of the most athletic people in the nba right now jalen brown yeah start
1: moving him towards four is my my guess but unfair in a a way um it'll really test the theory that you you need like a star elite player to win in the league because they're gonna have a bunch of guys that are kind of you know above average to you know that next tier even above above average so yeah but what what's going to happen i think um you know you, back to your previous points about you know Wade Baldwin and and kind of how you you approach this stuff Papi Giannis was just an out of left field pick and the the thing about the draft is you just don't know I mean I think Papiannis <laughs> is going to live up to his draft position at this point in time just watching the improvement and seeing the Marc Gasol like game of of his sort of develop um he'll be close that, he'll be close right like I, I just I think that's well, where we're at. If he cuts the weight, I think the sky's the limit because his footwork is good. His shot is true. You know, not in the jump shooting sense, but he shoots a good free throw. And and it's just something you can build off of. You see Marcus Gasol step out and hit threes now. You know, when you're that height, it's very hard for the opposing players to even bother your shot. So if, if he can, you know, a la Brooke Lopez, keep improving his shot, the footwork is there. So then it's just, can he keep the weight? I just think that for him... Everybody roundly laughed at that pick. It's the best example of not wanting to judge a draft until a couple years have passed. But, you know, again, back to to that, what we can judge is is that, you know, Vlade has Papianis, he's got Scal, and, you know, between that and Bogdanovich, you know, and, and Malachi, I just, you know, it, the, the questions, A, it's a good draft, but B, how much younger can this team go? So I, I feel like they can they can do a few things here. Package these picks, move up, maybe package them, move up to five. If if you really think, you know, that De'Aaron Fox is the guy, and I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I mean, he's really small, but you know the
0: skill level's off the charts. Yeah, he's not small as in height. I mean, he's he's six four plus, but uh, he's slight of frame. He he's, yeah. he's narrow through <laughs> his shoulders. I, I get what you're saying, but a lot of people compare him to Mike Connolly Jr. And I mean. I, I, he's a smart That's player. Fair. He's an inline driver. Um, I, I think I'm okay with that comparison. I think there are other comparisons too. But again, I'm willing to to be smart and aggressive in this. I, I would like for the Kings to keep number 10 and, and use something else to move up from 8 to 5 or 8 to 4. But here's my point. If you can get in the top five, I think we know who the top five are at this point. The top five are Foltz, Ball, uh, Jackson, um what's his name jason uh tatum tatum and and dearon fox i mean that's your top five and it's possible that monk or Markinen moves into that top five but i think right now that's your top five and if i can get from eight to five and retain ten then i think you've done some huge things here because number five gets you a guaranteed building block at a position of need it gets you a starting point guard or it gets you a starting small forward in year 1 with this young group. And I think that's huge. And so uh, it, then at number 10, I like Isaac. At number 10, I like I like Frank Tilakina. You know, I like Tillakina even if you get DeAaron Fox. I I would go with both of them. You have a defensive guy and and a guy who plays defense but who also can push the tempo and really be, you know, an athlete for you. Um but my point is that there's ways to get up there and it, again i I've, I've mentioned this if it's you know dealing with the sons and taking back brandon uh brandon knight's contract and just absorbing that contract for uh, what 3 years at 45 million dollars to move from 8 to to 5 and giving up you know uh uh aaron afalolo's contract then i do it i mean honestly i do because i think that you're going to have issues filling cap space anyways uh Brandon Knight can be a point guard for you either off the bench or as a starter for the next three years without any question whether you're going to get the production for the dollar it probably not but that's okay I mean you still need that player I mean it's it's not that he's that far off of Darren Collison and so I think that there's ways to move up and to be creative in this draft that the Kings are going to look at and again you add him to Bogdanovich yeah uh you know and, and that number 10 pick and you know and then the second round pick which is early you never know i mean this is again it's gonna be really young that's for sure but can you build this team like maybe a little more quickly by being aggressive and moving up and that's what i want to see i want to see this team figure it out and I, aaron have you seen what bogdanovich has done in the playoffs there
1: oh yeah yeah no he's he's kicking he's good
0: yeah he's um, uh he's looking like a player.
1: But how do you, I'm just so intrigued on how they, they got too many players. And (laughs) and if if they don't do something about it, you're going to try to play somebody, one of these guys at the three, which is fine, but it's not a winning overall strategy. It's going to be, you know, stopgap thing that teams exploit. So what do they do? Like who are they going to get rid of? They got to get rid of somebody. And I don't think they're going to get rid of anybody, is my guess, if assuming Bogdanovich
0: comes across. Okay, so so if you're sitting at number eight and someone offers you... You're trying to get up to number five, and you say so you don't take back as bad a contract as Brandon Knight, but you take back a contract, and number eight, would you give up Malachi to move up to, to number five? I probably... Oh, that's a that's
1: a tough one because if the contract's bad, if it's if it's Brandon Knight's deal, I would say no, no, yeah. don't do it. um Malachi's got some future in well, him. I think he does and, too. But and and to move up three slots, everybody gets enamored with draft day, and <laughs> it's it's like the time of mistakes. You, you make mistakes, and I, I don't know what kind of contract you'd have to tell me what it is, but to move up three slots. Uh, that's that's pretty weighty. You have a known commodity in your hand with Malachi to some degree. Uh, I, think I don't think you. you have a
0: known commodity. I think you have a commodity, but you you aren't sure what it is. It's an unknown um, commodity.
1: No, I think no, 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 no. I I, oh. I think that's selling him a little bit short here. I think that he's a a willing scorer that he might have some limitations. Don't get me wrong. I think he could probably get exposed on defense, and I think offensively as the league adjusts to him, it's going to be on him to expand his game. And there might be even issues involving kind of shot selection effort, you know, basketball IQ, because he didn't, he didn't show that very well in college and he came into the league and I thought he addressed a lot of that. Um, so yeah, it's not all gravy there, but I, I, when you get somebody that gets it, you just got to forget about the draft positions. I mean, look at Isaiah Thomas, look at, you know, Scal look at, um, but we're and, talking and about
0: it. I mean not to bash Malachi because I, I think Malachi has a future in the league. He averaged three points a game on the season. I don't, he only I played play that much. He only played like twenty two games or, or or something like that when, because when the when, the, the when they needed a bucket and they needed a veteran bucket
1: in the times that we was put into that position, which was not that much, he responded and to me answered those questions. Like if he's gonna do that in his rookie year, I think he's gonna have no problem doing that in in future years. And, um, you know, again, like, can he, pardon me, lock down the three in a way that you want him as, you know, your third or fourth guy on a very competitive basketball team? Uh, I'm not sure, but I do think that he could be a key rotation guy on a good team. You know, you look at Josh Richardson in Miami, you know, kind of like a young guy that's able to give you good solid minutes in the playoffs, you know, really, Uh really be a factor. And, and I think that, he could be a factor on a good team, um, so I don't know that I would. I don't think I would make him the bait. I might make Bogdanovich the bait.
0: Um, Interesting. I don't think I would. I would do that at all. I think Bogdanovich oh, is mature. Oh, you know, I love I I love his game. I think that he's going to be a
1: fine NBA player. I think, you know, CJ McCollum light. I've said that a bunch of times. Um, but you have a you're overstocked. Like you, you really are. I agree. If you're going to if you're going to have those three guys playing and and make no mistake, Garrett Temple should play 32 minutes for this team. It's basketball hearsay if he doesn't play that much because he's going to lock down your opposing one every single time. I mean, that run in the first 40 games of locking down the league's best and brightest MVP candidates, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, making them not score.
0: Yeah. You, you don't
1: find that anywhere else. No, so, I, I
0: agree. And I, I'm not saying put him out. T- I'm just saying, like, look, they they do have a lot of bodies and a lot of young bodies. And if I have to give up one young player to move up and get what I think is a guaranteed starter, who,
1: who would you pick if you could if you could do that? If I move up to from if you I'm, move up to if you move up to five and you could have your way, you know, realistically
0: speaking, you're not going to get faults, probably not going to get ball. You're not getting a ball. You're not going to get Josh Jackson. I, I take whoever's left between, uh, between Tatum and, Fox. Tatum and Fox, and and I'm fine with that. I, I think that if you take whoever's left between Tatum and Fox, um, then you found yourself a bona fide starter at that position. I mean, it may take a year or two before they're like who they're going to be, but I mean, I I don't think either one of them start in year one anywhere different than the spot that Scalubisier starts in year two I think that they're both right there where they're they're guys who come in and I mean again you're if you're gonna go super young I mean if you think about that if you had I guess if you
1: put the gun to my head I would probably do it but
0: see then you come back with Tilakina at number 10 if he's available
1: I'm I'm so hesitant I'm like 50-50 on this because yeah if you do come back and you get Tilakina I think you've You've basically been able to, if say you're keeping the eight, you know, and and you're able to pull the trigger on Jonathan Isaac, you know, you've got two great prosper or probably prospects. But you're gambling the-
0: that that I think in this situation, just for our sake of argument, you're gambling that Tatum would be better than would be a more sure bet than Malachi and and Isaac, and I I think that that is. Probably a safe bet, but I- I'm not sure. I- I'm just saying, look, and I'm not saying let's trade Malachi. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, look, if the Kings are going to be aggressive, aggressive has to take a lot of a lot of shapes and forms. You're not trading here You're not trading Buddy Healed, And at this point, you're probably not trading Willie Cauley-Stein. Outside of that, I don't know that you're going to keep, of course, Garrett, because he's the one veteran that you can build with. Uh, for sure, that's under contract long term that plays a position that you don't already have like a bunch of players at, uh, which is why I'm, I'm not mentioning Koster Kufis. Um, and, and he's the only other player that's under contract that that is sort of that guy, unless you're going to keep Anthony Tolliver. So again, it's like it's muddled. I, I'm just saying that if there's an opportunity, I got to gamble on greatness, and that's in, in this draft, I think you do have to hit home run. I don't think you can have a bunt single. Uh, You know, because you, in order to get good, you're going to have to find a star. And I don't know that you can find a star at eight or 10. You might be able to, but you also might not find that star. And if you could have moved up into the top five and found a star and you passed on that opportunity because of, you know, you didn't want to take on some money or you weren't willing to give up a guy who you took with the 22nd pick last year and averaged three points a game over 20-something game stretch and showed some promise. But you know what I mean? And you got to pay. In, in order to move up and, and to get what you need, you're going to have to pay.
1: Uh, yeah, um, that's kind of why I, I do think there's a lot. It's a, a choose-your-own-adventure book. There's a lot of endings here. There is. I, it is. I'm, I'm very, very intrigued at this because that you're right. If you pull the trigger at five and you give up Malachi, you, you get your star point guard. Or your star small forward um and then you fill in with your 10 pick and you get your kind of i don't know second best option if you want to call it that to um you know whether it's isaac smith tilakina one
0: of know, those three will be there one hopefully
1: of those... one of them falls you know i mean they would almost have to
0: yeah right? one of those three and will they be there fall.
1: yeah they yeah. have to fall so you you've got fallback options that's the whole point behind this thing And with um Malachi versus Bogdanovich, to me, it's a classic question of do you go deal from your excess depth or do you, um, do you hang on to Bogdanovich who, you know, offensively looks like he can be, you know, a real piece, like a real actual piece of a dynamic NBA offense. so um, And a I lot think of
0: choices. Bogdanovich is more mature. He's been playing overseas for years and years, um, you know, more mature as a player. More it mature.
1: balances out the youth issue, no doubt. Yeah, uh,
0: I, I mean, he's 24. He'll be 24 when he comes over, if he does come over. And, and the other thing I'll point out with Bogdanovich is he's a more versatile player. He might not be the defender that Malachi has the opportunity to be, but you're looking at passing, shooting, uh, you know, all of the things, that ball handling. Uh, Bogdanovich is a, uh, I mean, I don't know how you- to say this. He's a superior prospect at this point and if you move if you move malachi
1: in this theoretic here now you've really depleted your small forward position is that um um, a maneuver that ends up with rudy gay back in the fold
0: (laughs) there's so much there's so much you're right this is a massive choose your own adventure book uh there's so many different things that have yet to unfold and kings fans are going to have to be patient uh the kings are going to have a ton of cap space um, the one thing you know is that they've got their coach. Uh, I would say the the other thing you know is that Scal, Buddy uh, are for sure not going anywhere. Those are two guys that they're looking at as, you know, potential building blocks for this franchise. And the other guys are, are potential building blocks as well. But I know that those guys are like, you look around the league and many, many teams around the league would love to have both of those players, either of those players. Uh, they would love to have Garrett Temple. They would love to have Costa Kufis. Um, so the Kings do have some pieces here. Uh, I think we're just going to have to be patient, Aaron. Uh, I think it, it leaves a lot of food for thought, though, over the next you know month and a half, two months, right?
1: Yeah. it, it You know, it's a fun time for fans. Everybody gets fired up for draft day and lottery um, selection day. Just, you know, the hope of a new future. 30 teams have a chance.
0: Well, not really. Maybe five to ten. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> and most of those five to ten are realizing that there's only one. There can yeah. be only Juan, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Highlander. There you go. Uh, yeah, I, I'll say this too. Uh, watching watching this playoffs, it, I, I think there is one team that's uh, like far and above everyone else. Um, but the team that that I think people are still sleeping on for some reason, man, Houston's going to be tough to beat. Even even though the the Golden State Warriors are really good, Houston's going to be really tough to beat. So. I man, – I don't know, man. I
1: I think that I'm I've been betting against Houston all year, and there's it's just a something bad about bet, that yo. Team.
0: It's a bad bet. <laughs>
1: That's what I'm talking about, and I've been wrong on them all year. James Harden is is the truth. They're gonna be a foul. They're gonna be a screen for three foul that decides a major game this year. But they're it's, gonna it's, drop
0: like 140 on somebody in the playoffs, and everyone's gonna be it. like. <gasps>
1: What I'm talking about is this isn't even related to the Rockets. This is just this stupid play where you're going for a, sh- a screen and roll above the three-point line, and the contact between the screener and the defender that's on the ball is happening. That's the point of the pick and roll. Yeah. And now the offensive player knows that they can get a defender out of position, rise, attempt a three, create contact, and it's going to decide a game. And you know James Harden's one of the best at it. Um, I think once those guys play the Warriors, they're just done. Sorry. All right. Um, they, they can throw like five, not, not, maybe I don't want to say five, like at least three defenders that can really, really bother James Harden. So I just think they're done when they when they face them.
0: All right. All right. So uh, Aaron, do you have any final thoughts? Oh no, no.
1: Just uh, stay tuned. We we shall be back. Um, it, it's it's a, a fun time of year, but it is a little bit boring if your team's out of it. I'll say that.
0: That's right. All right, so I, I don't have any final thoughts either. Uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the NBC Sports Bay Area Kings Insider Podcast. Uh, for Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. We'll see you soon.